0: Amen. Thank you, Dr. Stratton. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to focus this morning in verses 3 through 11. Verse 3, Paul starts out by saying, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And at the end of this section, he says, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all wisdom that you may discern things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And in between, he is actually going to describe in some certain terms the relationship that he has with these believers at Philippi. Today, I'd like to turn our attention to, the, to, to what I'm referring to as the nature and necessity of spiritual Friendship, spiritual friendship, and i using that term and really I wrestled with what to call this. I thought about authentic relationships, and then I thought, well, wait a minute, there are all kinds of authentic relationships that aren't really what I'm talking about. And I want us to be careful as we look at this section today, and in particular what I'm talking about is I'm not comparing relationships. We have all kinds of relationships. We do and have and should have relationships with people that aren't believers. We have different kinds of relationships with people that are believers. We have relationships that have life constraints on them, relationships to our parents, relationships to our siblings. We have dating relationships and marriage relationships and parenting relationships. And I'm really not getting into any of those categories. I'm not comparing today. But one of the things I do want us to think about and what I think Paul is highlighting for us is that there are relationships that are intentionally spiritual. Paul's writing, and he's incarcerated at Rome. He's awaiting trial before Caesar. I believe that in history, he doesn't go to his death at this setting. I think that comes later. But in his mind, he is prepared to lead this life. And I believe in light of that, throughout this book, you hear him expressing from his heart things that he really valued. Because of his condition, he actually can't get to these people to minister to them, and so he's thinking about the nature of what their relationship is like. Sometimes we know that distance makes the heart grow fonder. If we're not careful, it can also make it wander. And so it's not distance that's magic, it's the relationship. So in light of that, let me ask you this question. Do you ever stop and take an evaluation of your relationships? What are they like? We have relationships of all different kinds. How do they impact you? How do you impact others? What kind of friend are you? What kind of friends do you have? Paul is going to share with the believers in Philippi and with us his thoughts on his friendship with them. And in doing so, I believe the Word of God gives us a picture of what I'm going to call spiritual friendship. And we'll see three things, three simple things about spiritual friendship, not simplistic. I learned this this week, but simple, things that I hope are memorable to us and impact us. And as we consider these things together, I want you to honestly ask yourself if you… Have a friendship like the one Paul describes. Ask yourself if you have relationships that might actually be doing the opposite in your life of what Paul talks about and in a spiritual friendship. And so I want us to see three things. First of all, I want us to see the markers of spiritual friendship. Paul calls to attention these people, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So, let me stop simply in light of where we've been already and help you to see that Paul is writing to them, sitting in prison, and he's not sitting there wondering if they care about Him, if they're thinking about Him, if they love Him, if they appreciate Him. In fact, Paul is going to write this opening statement and say, you know, with regard to our relationship, it's not all about me. It's actually about you. I'm thinking about you. You see, spiritual friendship will always be marked by a heart that rightly appreciates others. There's an evaluation of other people that actually is at the source of this friendship. Spiritual friendship will always be marked by an attitude of gratitude. I am thankful for who you are. I am thankful for the relationship. I am thankful for the truth that's true about you. I appreciate you. You see, it's not begrudging or controlling. It isn't demanding. It isn't focused on my needs and whether or not they're being met. Paul is in incredibly difficult circumstances, but he's not having a pity party. He's not actually self-absorbed. So, think about it for a moment. Do you have to have everything perfect in order for you to have a relationship with somebody? Do you have your list of demands that they better do this, and they better do that, and they better not do this, and they better not say that, in order for us to have a relationship? You see, at the heart of a spiritual relationship is a mindset that realizes that relationships are about serving. That's actually what Paul is going to identify in this relationship with them. He served them. They served him. They served together. And the three pieces actually form the basis for the relationship. Most relationships are often born out of adversity for one, the other, or both. Not because everything is perfect. So Paul serves despite being a prisoner. You see, I believe that we will most easily find the treasure of a spiritual friendship when we are most committed to being a spiritual friend. Let me say that again. I believe that we will most easily find the treasure of a spiritual friendship when we are most committed to being a spiritual friend. When we spend our efforts looking for someone who will meet our needs, we have shifted the burden of satisfaction, contentment, and peace from Christ to a person. And when this is the basis of the relationship, you can meet my needs, we will end up in a relationship that is marked by selfishness and growing insecurity. Are you going to meet my needs? Do you really want to meet my needs? Are you meeting somebody else's needs? And all these things begin to swirl in the relationship. And when that selfishness and insecurity rise in a relationship that I believe I have to have in order to be happy or content… The natural answer to that rising tide of insecurity is to exert more control and to take more, resulting in the destruction of the very thing, the very person that I believe I desperately need to have. And friends, this is what marks most immature relationships. And it's actually the thing that keeps us from having the kind of satisfying spiritual friendship that all of us crave. So I think we have to learn from Paul, and he does that as he mentions then what he is thinking about them and what it is is in their heart. And so I want you to see the markers of spiritual friendship are, first of all, a shared commitment to the gospel a shared commitment to the gospel. Notice what he says in verses 5 and 6, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is joyful because of what he refers to as their fellowship, or if you will, the participation in the gospel. Verse 7, he's going to use a very similar word. It's another form of the word koinonia. And I believe there he's actually going to talk more about what they actually did. They gave a gift. They participated with Him. They were partners. Here, actually, I believe there's a a commonly held interest that he is actually going to highlight more. There's a relationship that is, in a sense, connected to or sourced in the gospel. You see, spiritual friendship is sourced in a commonly held faith that he actually is going to talk about all the way down through verse 11. It's a relationship that finds its bedrock in the fact that I and this person have a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a foundation that is sourced in the fact that I and this person that I'm developing a relationship with are rightly related to God through an unreserved trust in the cross work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Friends you ought to be looking for a friend that you hear all the time talk about their faith in Jesus, about wanting to be more like Jesus about wanting to grow in their commitment to Jesus. You see, it's sourced in an understanding that each of us have a commitment to someone else who will always have a greater relationship with them than I will. It is secured by the fact that their relationship with Christ through the gospel will be the greatest safeguard of our friendship. I can understand that there will be boundaries on the nature of this relationship because you are committed to Christ. Unfortunately, in life, we build some of our strongest relationships, and we make some of our greatest life commitments to people that don't have the safeguard of the gospel. So let me stop for a moment. Have you ever stopped and taken an appraisal of your current circumstances? Young people, I believe that you will be one of the first generations in U.S. history who will pay real and tangible costs for embracing the gospel. I really believe that you will be a generation who will face things like, no, you're not getting the job promotion, because you will not embrace the world's philosophy of humanism, because you will not prize what we see as the differences that make us great, because you have a commitment to Jesus Christ. I believe that there are coming days of trial and struggle that may not look like physical persecution yet. They will. But they will actually look like real and tangible persecution because of your faith. And here you sit in a university with almost 3,000 peers who you believe have a commitment to Jesus Christ. And there is coming a day when, because of that persecution, you may feel very alone. And that is not the time to build relationships that will secure you in your faith. Now is. You see, these are the days where God has given you this opportunity that you should be saying, if ever I have a window in which to build true spiritual friendships, it's today. So, I'm going to make myself committed to the fact that I'm going to search and develop these kind of friendships, primarily by being that kind of friend. Because you see, it's not just that they have a shared commitment to the gospel. Notice what he says next, there's a sacred commitment to the sanctifying work of God. He talks about what God has begun in them through the cross work of Jesus Christ, that throughout their life, He will be performing that transforming, what we call sanctifying work throughout their life, and He will bring it to completion. And so, in this friendship, there's this understanding that I am committed to seeing the work of God in your life as His child, furthered, developed, progressing. I want my friendship to be a key to you becoming more like Jesus. You see, that's a baseline commitment. This is what marks a spiritual friendship. If you are not in in friendships with people who you have every confidence are your friend because they want to see you be more like Jesus, you need to start developing spiritual friendships. If you're in a relationship that has a strong commitment a dating relationship, an engaged relationship, if you're in a relationship that you feel drawn by a sense of commitment and you don't sense that they are committed to you being more like Jesus, you need to get out because you have conflicting commitments. These are the markers. Then I want you to see the makeup of spiritual friendship. Paul says, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, or in plain words, it is right for me to feel this way about you. Paul is talking about the nature of their relationship, and I want you to see, first of all, the beauty of spiritual friendship. What does he mean it is right? Paul has a deep, enduring love and affection for the Philippians that is mutual. He has deep affections for these people, and it's right for Him to feel that way. You see, there's a genuine freedom in spiritual relationships. This kind of friendship's not weird or awkward or inordinate. This is a relationship that has been proved by the giving and receiving of trust and care. This is a friendship that has moved beyond the normal fears and guards of life. There is a freedom of transparency, yes, but there's actually a freedom of reality. This isn't, I will live my life all of this way, and then I've got these brief moments where I'll be transparent with you. It actually is just the opposite. It's a friendship where I can truly be myself without any guise, rather than windows where I can be transparent. I can be who I am without fear of judgment. Now, understand, this isn't a friendship that merely accepts and approves no matter what. It's sourced in the gospel. This is a friendship that, 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 that doesn't tolerate sin. You see, that isn't a true friendship at all. In this letter, we'll see Paul correct and call to repentance two of these people that he considers these true friends. The Bible tells us faithful are the wounds of a friend. This is a friendship where there is freedom to be me so that through wise counsel, loving instruction, and disciplined correction from the one I consider a friend, I can be better. I can be me because I know that you'll speak the truth to me. I can be me because I know you'll love me enough to correct me and make me more like Jesus. You see, this is the beauty of spiritual friendship. I don't have to wonder which character do I have to be today for you to like me. I actually can be me so that you can help me be the me God intends me to be. It's a lot of me. You see, Paul could say, be followers of me even as I am of Christ. And he could say to Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Timothy, you know me because I was able to be real with you. And God used my real life For us, in a friendship relationship, to help us both become like Jesus. You see, this is the beauty of spiritual friendship. But then I want you to see the basis for spiritual friendship. He uses, again, this word koinonia in an an adjusted form that now is translated as partakers. It is actually the the idea here of something that that we did together or partnering together. They become co-partners with Paul, both, as he says, in his imprisonment and in his defense of the gospel. There's been a clear establishment in their relationship of what the priority is. I think the nuance here actually intentionally speaks to the strength of the relationship. The one is that you did something early on in verse 5 to help me with what I was doing, and the second is that you identify with me in what I am doing. A sense of joint ownership in their day in very real terms. Living in Rome, it was a costly thing to have a friend who was in prison. One, you could be implicated. Two, you had to take care of them. And they genuinely did participate in the work that Paul was doing. But in doing so, they rightly identified with him. Identified with him in his need. Identified with him in his ministry. Identified with him in his purpose. And so Paul could say, I have you in my heart, in as much both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are partners with me, and God is my record. God is the witness. God is the one that, that speaks affirmingly of how greatly I long after you all in the emotions, the seat of the emotions, the bowels of Jesus Christ. This was a relationship of incredible value to Paul. Why? Because he had a relationship whose basis was the ongoing work of Christ in his own life and in the world. So, I ask you this question. Do you have friendships that are focused on you being and doing all you can for Jesus Christ? Today and tomorrow and with the rest of your life. And the third thing as I close then is this, verses 9 to 11. Here's the mandates of spiritual friendship. Here we're going to hear Paul's heart for his friends what Paul desired for them, what Paul wanted to see the friendship produce, because it's something that only God could produce. And he prays it for them, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. And so what he does, first of all, is he gives them a description of faith with the word love. He actually describes their relationship with God as love. His relationship with them was something that would help and prompt them to move beyond a mental ascent to a relationship with Jesus, to actually a commitment of heart and life that looks like love. You will live for Jesus because you value Jesus. Let me ask you, do you have friendships that cause you to value Jesus beyond anything else? Beyond your own comfort, beyond your own friend group, beyond your own likes or dislikes, beyond your own habits, do you have relationships that make you say, my walk with God looks like me loving Him, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is it awkward? to talk about Jesus? Is it awkward to talk about your faith? Is it awkward to talk about your sin struggles? Is it awkward to talk about your distance from God? Friends, you need spiritual friends that you can actually have those real conversations with who would say to you, I want you to know that the greatest desire I have for you is that you would love Jesus more. But then see, the development of that love, and it comes by way of a couple of things. Notice discernment. This isn't empty emotion. This isn't times of standing and rising and proclaiming how much I love Jesus without ever seeing my life changed. He says this is sourced in a knowledge that leads to making right choices. It's discernment. Love isn't blind. Love is actually biblically informed. Love isn't in the eye of the beholder, love is in the object of that love, and this love is to be Christ. And so, if I'm going to love Him more, I must know Him better, and I must know Him better so that I can live better for Him. And this is a relationship that is driven at developing my faith through more knowledge of God, friends that will speak truth into my life. And that results then, secondly, in discipline, he uses the word uh, uh, dokimos, and the word used here is the word to approve, it's a verb, it means to examine, or to Put to the test. It's a present active infinitive that is a result. Paul is praying that their faith will grow in knowledge and discernment that will result in a pattern of life that looks like making wise choices. Is that the kind of friends you have? Do you have friends who are inviting you to go off campus on Friday night and make decisions that look like you learning better how to live life skillfully? This is the time to find them. Because ultimately, then, the display is that your life would be filled with the fruits of righteousness so that when it's all said and done, you're ready to meet Jesus. That's what he says here. Imagine thinking through a friendship and thinking, I want to be the kind of friend that by the time my friendship is over, this person I call friend is ready to meet Jesus. It starts by not being selfish. It actually ends by giving myself away to being the right kind of friend. You see, friends, this is why we do things like discipleship group. Because we're creating a context in which at least you have a starting place to say, I'm in this group because of the gospel. I'm in this group because we're here to talk about spiritual things. I'm in this group because God wants me to be more like Jesus And he wants me to interact with other people that he wants to be more like him too. Do you have spiritual friendships? Are you a spiritual friend? Father, may we take these things to heart. May we be the kind of friends you've called us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.